Welcome back to the nationally syndicated Price of Business Show. I'm your host, Kevin Price, talking to you about you and your business. We've got a really interesting topic today. Uh, you know, now all of a sudden there's a lot of talk about hiring trends as the economy looks fragile. Um, no, I, I think very few people expect the incredibly low uh, unemployment uh, numbers that we've seen in the last year to persist much into 2023. And so we thought it'd be interesting to interesting to get some insights on what's happening hiring trends wise. And there's a few places that are better versed in this topic than the folks at Indeed. And uh, we have an economist, uh, Corey Staley, who is uh, with Indeed and uh, the Indeed Hiring Lab. And uh, Corey, welcome to the program. Real quickly, kind of uh, kind of give us an uh, overview of Indeed. Of course, everyone's seen the commercials. Uh, I need Indeed. Indeed, you do. Uh, I, I, I think we, you know, we know that <laughs> we know that phrase. Uh, but talk specifically not only about Indeed, but give us an introdu introduction real quick to the hiring lab. And welcome to the program. Yeah, thanks for having me, Kevin. Uh, so yeah, so this is kind of an overview. As you mentioned, a lot of people have probably heard of Indeed and they're familiar with kind of the job board side of things and going out and searching for jobs on Indeed. But where, where I work with Indeed and within the hiring lab is kind of an interesting place because what we are is we're basically a team of economists that come together to really look at what's going on in the labor market and to kind of get a fill and a lay, for, lay of the land. Um, and so that's something that we're, you know, constantly doing. And that's something that uh, with this most recent report, we just published a report uh, where we kind of joined forces with Glassdoor and as part of that so that we can kind of take what we're seeing and then make those insights accessible, you know, to businesses, to job seekers. Um, and so that's kind of what our job and what our role is within the hiring lab. Yeah, absolutely. Let's get into this topic of hiring trends. And you're noticing, uh, uh, your team there is noticing five hiring trends uh, about uh, the workplace. Talk about, talk about that. Go ahead and give us all five, and we'll focus on, on a few of those as time remains. Yeah, so I think the first one, the first of those trends, really gets back to what you're talking about and what you mentioned with kind of the tight labor markets and the low unemployment rate. And so the first one and the first trend is that we expect this tight labor market to be something that continues not only into 2023 but beyond. The second trend is that we expect to see a continuation of remote work, which, you know, really picked up steam during the pandemic, but we've seen that that has continued to be a significant part of employment in the United States. Um, and then the last three trends are kind of things that give us an insight into the minds of job seekers and things that businesses can do to set themselves apart. And so those three trends are that benefits and offering top-notch benefits can set employers apart. The company culture and happiness of their workers really matters and can keep, you know, really help a lot with employee retention. And the last one has to relate relates to diversity and inclusion in the workplace. And we've seen that that is a very important topic for many of, especially the younger workers, kind of between the ages of 18 and 34. Mm -hmm. So explain uh, why you you envision the uh, tight labor market to continue because, you know, when you look historically at, at uh, the kind of inflation we've had, more importantly, the cure, um, you've seen, well, I use air quotes because it's, it's a very painful cure. As you know, it's almost like chemotherapy on a cancer patient or what the Fed does to the economy. Um, I, don't, I don't know any time there's been a 
and it's a, a deliberate monetary attack on inflation that hasn't led to high unemployment. I, I've never seen that. Uh, so I'm curious to see why you see that persisting in spite of uh, what's happening uh, with, uh, with both inflation and with our monetary policy. Yeah, I think that's a great question. I think really what it comes down to is really just one word, and that word is demographics. What we're seeing right now is we're seeing, you know, far more baby boomers and older workers aging out of kind of the prime working age. And we're seeing with kind of the dropping birth rate across the United States over the last, you know, several years and decades, we're seeing fewer and fewer workers aging into that age group. And so even though, yeah, you know, what's going on with monetary policy and kind of that <clears throat> movement towards fighting inflation, you know, might have a short-term effect on what we see in the labor market. In the long term, what we're seeing is that these demographics, the pool of workers is actually shrinking. Um, and according to some of the World Bank estimates that we're seeing, uh, between the year of 2026 and 2036, the pool of workers is expected to shrink by a little over 3%. So you have kind of this growing economy, employers looking for people, but you're having fewer people in that working age to fill those jobs, which is why we say we expect to see that tight labor market continue, um, not only within the short term, but also, you know, over the coming decades. Interesting. Yeah, and, and I think that, uh, you know, the obvious trend is towards, uh, you know, how do we figure out how not to work? <laughs> that, seems to be, that seems to be the larger trend. And in addition to that, uh, you know, you, you've got all kinds of problems of, of finding appropriate skilled labor for an economy that's advanced like the United States that needs it. You know, uh, but, but because of that, you know, I see more and more dependence on a global uh, uh, population and outsourcing. And there, and there are pl plenty of younger uh, working people in those other parts of the world uh, who are available. And unfortunately, uh, you know, depending on your views, I think, uh, I think we're kind of draconian when it comes to our migration views, uh, immigration views, uh, because there's plenty of people who would actually help spur growth in our economy if they were allowed to work here. But regardless, we're figuring out how to, how to utilize them and work with them regardless of where they are. You know, I, I just see eventually where that's got to have a crunch on those who are looking for employment here. But I guess you're saying that's going to be outweighed by just the demographics. Yeah, yeah, and I think that you bring up a great point as well with, you know, one of the ways, so I mean, there are ways that this tight labor market can be, you know, really attacked by employers and how employers can find some ways to, you know, get around that, right, and to set themselves apart. You know, and one of the ones you mentioned is kind of accessing the global supply of labor, you know, and that, again, there are varying views, again, on the migration. Um, but at the same time, what we say in this report really is that ultimately we are pro having a strong labor market and immigration is something that does give a little more access to labor. Another thing that really kind of expands that labor pool then is also remote work. And again, that was the second trend we looked at. Because um, again, there are local, you know, restrictions and laws and regulations that need to be considered, you know, whenever you're uh, using remote work. But at the same time, it does offer the opportunity to open up kind of a broader labor pool uh, throughout the world. And so kind of looking at immigration, looking to remote work, and also looking for areas where there might be opportunities for automation 
you know, for maybe some less efficient skills. I know it can sometimes be controversial and people can fear job losses from automation. Um, but what we've seen historically is that when automation occurs, uh, new jobs are then formed from automating kind of those old tasks. And so those are just a few of the kind of prescriptions that we talk about uh, and mentioned briefly in this report for employers to consider as part of combating this tight labor market. Yeah, a lot of the reasons why third world countries remain third world for so long was their resistance to automation. Uh, you know, depending on the size of the lawn in India, uh, they weren't even allowed to use a lawnmower. They had to literally use shears, you know, large, really large scissors is essentially what they were in order to keep people busy and to keep them uh, employed and, and, and that type of thing. You know, what reality has found is that, um, is that whenever there's new technology that creates more automation, it, it just makes jobs uh, higher paying in general and quality of life better and availability uh, to the things we want easier to get because they become more affordable. So, uh, you know, in the net, you know, that's a very uh, dark ages view that uh, technology uh, destroys jobs. It actually makes them better. Yeah, I think that's a great point. I think kind of always being open to seeing, you know, kind of where the trends are going, seeing what kind of best practices are, you know, is a very important thing, you know, and I think one of the other things that we've seen with, you know, kind of something that's come more on the scene recently is with kind of the diversity, equity, and inclusion pieces, you know, the DEI pieces, and it was kind of an interesting thing that we saw in this report, again, that older workers, you know, felt the diversity and inclusion within the workplace and staff and the, the management of a company were important, but particularly among younger workers, we saw from different surveys that were done that about two-thirds of younger workers between 18 and 34 said that they would walk away from a job or they would turn down a job if they didn't see sufficient diversity of gender or race within kind of the staff or management of a company. You know, so I think that there are a lot of things that employers can be thinking about right now in terms of what they can do to, you know, really promote a culture of diversity and also a, com a culture where employees enjoy the work that they're doing. Yeah, I guess becoming uh, being a teenager uh, during Jimmy Carter and hyperinflation and literally standing in a line that went around the block to apply for uh, two cashier jobs at a grocery store while going to a high school uh, impacted my uh, view of uh, jobs. <laughs> the thoughts of being able to, you know, I'm sorry, you don't meet these criteria, uh, Mr. Employer. That's a real different fit, uh, fit for people who uh, were raised when I was raised. Yeah, and that's a great point. I mean, that's, uh, that is definitely true where the experiences we have definitely shape, you know, kind of the way we view the labor market. I spent a number of years working in retail and uh, you know, really, really enjoyed that. And I feel like that really, you know, that was one of my first experiences in the labor market and really shaped, you know, the way that I view the labor market. So I definitely understand kind of what you're saying with uh, kind of where you've been definitely can shape where you see yourself going. Yeah, we're uh, going to be playing beat the clock. I got kind of caught up on that first story, uh, you know, uh, because it is it's a pretty complicated one, as you as you well uh, pointed out. Talk a little bit about the uh, final three. We kind of overlap into your second point as well in that conversation. Uh, talk about the uh, final three about how did how do they keep in, how do they attract and retain employees 
you know, what are they doing to address that? Yeah, so one of the things that we're really seeing that employers are doing is offering benefits and, you know, kind of getting a little more creative with the benefits that are being offered. Uh, it's been interesting to see, particularly within the data, that, for instance, in kind of some of the lower wage type of jobs that traditionally haven't offered time off, we've seen a pretty significant shift just even during the pandemic in the last few years where on Indeed, about 20% of those lower wage jobs were offering time off before the pandemic. And since the pandemic and just within this last year, that number has moved closer to 40%, so almost double. So we've seen as the labor market has gotten tighter and it's been harder to attract workers, we've seen kind of an upward creep in, you know, offering, you know, different time off benefits. We've seen an upward creep in some different creative, um, you know, mental health type offering benefits as well. You know, the pandemic's been hard for a lot of people and we've seen employers more and more offering support uh, for mental health. We've seen more and more offerings and mentions in our job postings around free lunches in the office. You know, so just thinking about what creative benefits can be offered, and that's not necessarily something that, you know, not every company needs to uh, pull out the ping pong tables and the Nerf gun fights and things that we've seen in the news stories. Um, you know, so, but I think that small businesses especially can really speak to their employees about what benefits they value the most and really set themselves apart from the other yeah. uh, employers by offering those benefits. Yeah, I've got two sons. Uh, one is a former senior programmer from Google and the other one who who is a programmer at Google and, you know, talking about all the nice things about Google. Uh, the one who's no longer with Google, he, uh, he, he believes that a lot of that is just designed to keep you working continuously. <laughs> oh, yeah, bring your dog. You have no reason to go home now. Oh, yeah, play ping pong here. Why go, you know, uh, oh, sure, eat here. It, it, it's interesting to see how, and I, I've seen that. That's how a lot of people have uh, viewed their uh, Google experience in retrospect. Uh, that uh, yeah. a lot of that generosity is designed to keep, just keep working. Um, one thing that did just pop in my head that did relate to number two, which is people working from home. I'm curious, and it's kind of an aside, uh, and we are playing beat the clock, so I'm going to have to ask for a short question, answer rather, although I might get you back on to talk more about it. But uh, just as an aside, are you seeing any trends where they're looking at legislatives legislation to incentivize business owners to have their employees work from home uh, or even penalize, uh, you know, and this may be too futuristic, companies if they uh, don't have their employees uh, work from home when it makes sense, it's probably way far away if, if that happens at all. But I think about, you know, environmental issues, carbon footprint impact, all of that is benefit, benefited by people working from home. So I can see states like California, Minnesota, places like that have legislation like that at some point, at least to incentivize, if not punish. Yeah, and that's a great question. I mean, obviously, with anything legislative, it's always hard to tell uh, where Congress or anybody else is going to go in that route. But what we are seeing is, you know, significant pressure from employees to offer remote work. We've seen that about 10% of all of the searches on Indeed are people specifically looking for remote jobs? And in some surveys that we had done, we found that particularly for women, remote work was one of the highest things we saw that the number one reason people said they were looking for a job was to get higher pay. 
And for women, the number two reason they said they were looking for a job was to get a remote job. And so I think it's interesting to see, you know, workers putting pressure and with this tight labor market continuing, workers are going to continue to have the upper hand in the coming years. So I, I can definitely see that having an impact on the overall landscape and as we continue to talk about remote work going forward. To me, it seems like a question of when, not if, legislation happens like that. But I don't know. You know, I'm not everywhere. I don't see it ubiquitous. I think prohibiting it is pretty uh, undermining of fundamental liberties. But I can see a lot of incentives happening uh, to try to uh, make it easier for uh, employers or employees, rather, to work from home. It'll be interesting to see what happens. Corey, really do appreciate your time. We're going to have a link to the study at priceofbusiness.com. Uh, but go ahead, final thoughts, and go ahead and give the uh, the website for uh, for your for the um, lab there. Yeah. So if you want to read more about this report or any of the other economic research that we're doing, you can just go over to hiringlab.org. Hiringlab.org. And thanks so much for being with us. Thank you for having me. I'm Kevin Price. This is the Price of Business. Stay for more.